All right, praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house tonight for online Bible study. Well, actually, it's starting to be online in-house Bible study. So I want to say good evening to the people that are here in the sanctuary. And again, anybody that's out there, if you want to come, we're starting to be in the sanctuary live as well. So praise the Lord. We're going to go ahead and see if we can pray and then get started uh, with our Bible study tonight. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we just thank you again for the opportunity to come into your house. We thank you for the word of God, and we ask tonight you will continue to lead us and guide us into your truth. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have been uh, in the book of Philippians, and tonight probably we will wrap this up, and we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through 23 tonight. So it'll be Philippians uh, 4, verses 10 through 23, and like I said again, then tonight that will, uh, we'll wrap up this book for tonight. So uh, for those of you out there online with us, and again, like we said, we'll see if we can, they'll have the scriptures they can put up on the screen as well for you out there. So let's read 10 through 23, and then let's go back and start kind of doing our thing here line by line on this. Okay, here we go. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at your last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Ephroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you chiefly. They are our Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, um, take, we'll take these scriptures as we go through them. Now remembering again, Paul is in prison right now. Um, he's being charged basically falsely with insurrection. And of course, if he's found guilty, then that means that he would be suffering the death penalty um, through the Roman government. But Paul, when we see the place we've gotten to now in this letter, remember last week, Paul spent time talking about the things that we ought to focus our minds on. He said, you know, that in order that we would have God to be with us, he said, I need you to follow what I'm doing. So he says, first, you would mark people because he said there were those, and we saw at the end of chapter 3, he said, who really were enemies of the cross. He said that they basically are, their God is their belly, he says, and they 
their mind is on earthly things. That's all they really think about. He said, and because of that, then they really were enemies of the cross, and these were not people that you wanted to mark as an example. So then he went on to say, mark me as an example and follow the things that I'm doing. And he said, then the God of peace will be with you. And then he began to talk about the things we should do. And, and, and we saw that last week in verse 8, where he said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things were true, whatsoever things were honest, whatsoever things were just. And he went through all that and said, these are the things we ought to be thinking about. So it basically then sets up for us an understanding of why I told you last week why many times people have a lot of the problems they have. It's because of the things that they are thinking about. I mean, if you, you look, there's a lot to be said about um, positive thinking not being the, what we want to be spending our time focusing on. In other words, the cross of Christ is what gives and brings our salvation. But then there are things that God tells us to do that are not bad things. So a lot of times you hear people out there saying positive thinking has no place in the church, and it's just not true. Um, if you read what Paul said, we'll read the verse again, verse 8. He said this, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, what, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. So he says then that this is the process by which we keep the peace of God is by focusing our mind on these kinds of things. So if we spend our day, you know, first thing we do is get up and read the newspaper and fill our mind up with all the murder and crime and violence and everything that's going on, and we're constantly filling our minds with this stuff and concentrating on this, there's no way we can have the peace of God that God tells us we could have. Um, you know, it's okay to inform yourself about things, but I mean that if that's all we're doing, reminiscing and going over in our minds constantly, there's no way we can have it. So Paul then begins to shift when he gets from here, and he says in verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So it appears then, from at least what we can tell, that the Philippian church had been supporting Paul in his mission journey and going around the churches and all throughout the years, but somewhere had stopped doing it. They weren't supporting him. They weren't sending him anything. And at some point, it appears that they then began again to give to Paul. So Paul then tells them, uh, I'm rejoicing because of that. Um, now that at last your care of me has flourished again. But he doesn't talk about the fact that they had stopped. You know, he doesn't spend any time beating them up, saying, look, I'm out here doing this. It would have made sense, you know, to keep supporting me or any of that. Paul just says, look, I'm excited that you all have agreed and agreed to, you know, begin to send something to me. Thanks a lot. But then he goes into the next verse, in verse 11, to make it clear that he says, but I'm not speaking out of respect of want. In other words, Paul says, look, and, and I think this is an important place here to deal with a lot of the stuff that we hear as Christians, you know. People will say God doesn't want us to have any lack and God this, and, you know, I, there's a lot of things that people talk about. And I think that we have to be careful how we approach what is going on because different people are having different experiences for various reasons. And we don't know what all those reasons are, but we know that this is the case because Paul um, makes it clear here. There are two verses, and I'm going to deal with them now, not in depth, but I just want to pull them out. 
that I think get quoted out of context a lot and then lead to a lot of the different things that you hear people saying. One is verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. People will pull that verse out of context, and it means anything you want to do, you can do it, and it doesn't matter, and it's always positive, though, now, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, this kind of whatever I can do. And then verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So people, you'll see those verses quoted a lot um, for the intent of people, one, if there's something that they want to do, then they'll say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what the Bible says. If they are looking for money or needs being met or whatever, they'll say, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So they've basically taken two verses out of the context in which they were written, which although they might mean what people are using them for at the moment, they very well might not be. And a lot of times they really don't. It's kind of like the verse on I know the plans I have for you uh, to prosper you and give you a future, which was not uh, the intention that God was speaking to us about it at the time. So let's talk about these verses in the context of where we are. We have Paul in jail, okay, in prison, about to possibly be executed. And he's writing to the church saying he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And also saying back to a church that's supporting him while he's in jail that God will supply all their needs according to his riches and glory. So we see then the context is that you have a church that is supporting a mission, a, a, a preacher who's locked up in jail, who's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, and at the same time, God's going to supply all your needs <coughs> because of the, what you're doing. So if we... If we keep it in that context, then we see to start that God, Paul, is saying that no matter what circumstance he's in, even in jail, he can do anything. Now, see, if you think about the way we tend to do this, is that something is going on in our life, and we say, this can't be God. All right? If it's something negative, it can't be God. God can't, you know, even though it might not be God doing it to us, the point is, it's where we are right now, and the Wherever we are right now, according to Paul, we can do all things through Christ. That's not the way people tend to, though, approach this. So we see Paul then saying in verse 11, I'm not speaking in respect of want. He says, although I'm saying I'm happy y'all are giving back to me, I'm, I'm not speaking this because I need your money. He says, that's not what I'm doing. He says, actually, because I've learned something. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. So Paul now puts out again, think about all the preaching and teaching and stuff we hear at times. Paul puts out for us the idea of learning how to be content, which means then to be satisfied with where you are and your circumstance, your situation, the things that you have. Now, does that mean then that you don't necessarily want to improve anything? No, it doesn't mean that. But in the process of trying to improve, I'm okay with where I am. I'm content. That's what the scripture means. And so Paul basically tells us he had to learn this, though. So when you go back and think about everything that Paul went through, Paul is saying that, you know, I wasn't always this way, okay? But over time, as time went on, I learned how to be okay 
with the circumstances and situations I'm in, even though they may not have made sense to me, even though it might not have made some kind of way that I didn't understand it, I've learned that what I need to do is to rest in it and be content where I am. This would be a lesson that all of us can learn, you know? Um, because a lot of, I think, uh, consternation and concern and, and anxious and anxiety come out of people not being content where they are. Now, does that mean that where we are is always a good thing and we ought to be there? You know, you, it's almost like you have to kind of put these pieces together, all right? And what I mean by that is in the book of Proverbs, it's consistently saying if you do stupid stuff, bad stuff going to happen to you, all right? So you can't expect to do things that are not right, end up in somewhere that you're not supposed to be, and then try to work with this contentment idea unless you have made up your mind to follow God at that point. So in other words, if I say, well, you know, I've done something wrong, now I'm in a situation that I really shouldn't be in, but I recognize it, I repent, I'm going to try my best now to follow God, well, now I need to just be content in the situation I'm in. But if I'm doing something still that you know is not right, and I'm still getting the wrong circumstance, I can't say, well, I'm just content, you know, it is what it is. You know, people will say that. Well, no, it's not necessarily is what it is. It is there because you're not following what God is telling you to do. It's one thing to be content when you know you have confessed your faults, confessed your sins, you're straightening out as best you can, and you're trying to move away according to the way God tells you to. Then you can rest content in that. But if you're not doing that, then resting content could end up being a problem for you when it's all over because you're really resting in something that's not right. And you got to know that and you have to know how to move out of that. So Paul was not saying um, that when he says whatsoever state I am is to suggest that I'm going to do whatever I want to do and wherever I end up, that's okay. That, that's not what he's saying. Paul is saying that as I live out my life, then I'm going to find myself in different circumstances. Why I'm here, I don't know, just like when these people didn't support him. Paul doesn't know what happened. I mean, he, well, even if he knew, he doesn't say anything to us about it. But he does know that for some reason, these people stopped supporting him. So he, but his contentment and his joy and his peace were not determined by the fact that they supported him or they didn't. But once they start supporting him again, Paul says, I'm glad. I'm not saying that I'm saying that because I need your money, because I've learned how to live content. Then he goes on and talks about what that contentment looks like, though. See, because a lot of times you, you'll hear when you, people talking, you would think that nobody or as believers, we're not, we, we can never have anything, maybe. All right? That's, that's the idea. But look at what Paul says, though. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. So in other words, Paul says, I've learned how to do both of these things. I know if, if God prospers me with a bunch of stuff, I know how to do this. If I don't have anything, I know how to do that. And Paul says, then he goes on and says, and the reason being, he says, because everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In other words, Paul says, look, I need to learn. I've been taught. Jesus has helped me to understand. Things can change so fast that you have to know how to walk in all of this. 
If it's going great, fine. If it's not going so great, fine. I can do all things through Christ. It kind of like when the flood came in 2016. It didn't matter if you were a Christian or not a Christian. You know, if you lived in the neighborhood that flooded, everybody flooded. So, you know, you can't run out the door going, oh, God, I just don't know. And this is why when, when you listen to people sometimes as they're talking about hurricanes and stuff, they come by. Well, God blessed us and it went the other way. Right, but it went to somebody else's house. So did, is that really what happened? Or is it just that as a course of the weather, it went wherever it did, and had it come to you, you still would deal with it. You know, you know, you got to know how to be a base and how to bound. Because to suggest that, well, God sent it somewhere else, would have to suggest then that, well, those folks didn't matter, obviously. Well, there had to be somebody over there that was a Christian, probably. I mean, you know, so point is, I think that we have to realize that in every situation, things, because they change so rapidly, so quickly, and all this, Paul says, I've learned how, even, even when, I'm, when I have it all, I've learned not to get so much into it that if I lose it, I lose my peace. Yeah, so I've learned how to be full and hungry. I've learned how to abound and to be abased. I know that when I have stuff, don't count on the stuff, <laughs> because you just never know how that's going to go. And so Paul says that if I, you can get here, you can live more peaceably, because when stuff don't go the way you want, then you don't really, it doesn't disrupt you, so to speak. Now, again, you got to balance this stuff, because like Jesus said when he talked about the devil, he said, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we're not saying that, you know, if somebody, you know, you lose something or something's destroyed or something, that you're just supposed to case or around like it don't matter. Go back to what I said before. You got to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as well. You know, you got to be living your life in a way that at least the Bible says, and I told somebody this the other day, that the devil, the Bible says, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, which you don't want to be one that he can devour. You need to be living your life in a way that when it's all over, you can withstand the devil and deal with him because that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not just saying just walking around, case around, no plan, no thoughts, and if the devil comes and just strikes you, oh, oh, well, I'm content. No, that's not. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee. So, so if we're told to resist him, then how does that line up with being content? Well, because God didn't say be content with the devil uh, uh, running, riding roughshod over you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about life's circumstances that are happening for various reasons, and as they happen, we have to learn how to be a base and a bound. Say, for instance, like the people in Ukraine. So, you know, you're a Christian in Ukraine. All of a sudden, a war breaks out. Well, well where are you going to go? You can't go nowhere. But it may have been just two months ago, you were prospering, and everything was great and wonderful, and you had your job, and everything was grand. But now, all of a sudden, this circumstance occurs, and there's this war going on. And now your whole world is turned upside down. But you're still a Christian. God's still your father. You still need to walk content now. See, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Those types of things that we have no control uh, over, Paul says, these are the things. And then he goes on in verse 13 to quote that verse that I told you many times gets taken out of context. Now, if you think about it now, when he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So now he's saying, this is how I get through stuff. Christ, I, I, he's got to be the one to empower me. He's got to be the one to strengthen me. He's got to be one. Now, what you want to notice about this, though, 
Christ doesn't do everything. You know, many times, I, you know, I used to say this when I was at work, and now I do it at home uh, or wherever I am, actually. And I'll say stuff like, you know, Lord, help me, help me. And I told my secretary, I would always say, and what's the Lord going to say? I'm always helping you, you know. And <laughs> so, because I'll throw my hands up, Lord, just help me. And then I'll say, I know, you're always helping me. So the thing is that in this verse, you see verse 13, God's not doing everything. See, it says, I can do. So, so that you got something to do with this now, you know. So it's not, you don't just throw your hands up and say, Jesus, do it. No, you can do it, but Christ will strengthen you as you do it. So, so if you have, a, you have a problem, you have a situation, you're praying, you don't know how to get through it, you don't know what to do. But you got to do it. You got to be the one to get through the situation. You have to be the one to get through the day's work. You got to be the one to get through the tragedy that's occurred. You're the one that's got to get through whatever's happening. But Christ will strengthen you so you can get through it. That's why he's saying, I can do it. I can do it. It's me. It's not just Christ, because people will say that. Well, you know, you don't want any glory. God does it all. No, he don't. God don't brush your teeth. God don't go to work. God don't drive your car. God don't cut your grass. God doesn't do any of that stuff. You have to do it. But God will strengthen you so you can get things done. And that's the idea. Paul says, look, it doesn't matter what's going on. I can do all things through Christ. And, and, and the key has to become that it just becomes more reality to people. See, because I keep telling people, if all you're doing is reading these verses or looking at them and then go, oh, that's nice, and it doesn't take on the significance that it really ought to mean, then it doesn't do any good for you. So it's kind of like taking multivitamins, you know, or supplements or something, right? If you're taking them, they should be doing something for your body. They still say, um, at least the last I read, doctors are still willing to admit that most, they say, chronic diseases that people have in their older age are due to nutritional deficiencies. And what, that, what does that mean? It means people don't eat right. Yeah, the, all the stuff they're eating wrong is the, is the majority reason for most chronic diseases as people grow older. Diabetes, high blood pressure, uh, heart disease, all of it is tied to bad nutrition. <coughs> now, that's crazy. That basically means the stuff people eat is what's really making them sick. So... If I understood that, you would think that most people, we wouldn't have many people getting sick, but people, they understand it, but they, they either can't control it or they choose not to. So now, this, 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 what this verse is saying is that God is saying, look, you need to understand this is a reality. Just like you would not drive your car, it's on E, you know you have 150 miles to go, you're not going to drive it and say, oh, well. God will get me there. You, you're not going to do that. You're going to say, I'm going to run out of gas, especially if you have one of those that says 10 more miles to go. Most people say, well, if it say 10, you know you got at least 20, they say. Okay, fine, you got 20 miles to go. But you need to go 150 miles. Everybody's going to say, let me stop at the gas station and get gas. They understand that. That's what this is talking about. Paul's like, look, you running on E. We're doing things that happen in life that require us 
to be strengthened in whatever it is we're doing, and we have, this has to become a reality to us. In other words, it, it can't just be something we're saying. It has to be something we believe so that we wait on God for the strengthening that we need. You know, there are times when things that you, you, could be, you could be facing problems that every time you try to fix it, it just doesn't seem to want to get right. You, know, you go left, it just looks like it go right. You go right, it go left. But you can't give up. You know, you have to keep going. Let's say you only have $10 to fix a problem. Well, you done spent three. Well, you don't have 100. You know, somebody calls you and says, oh, I can fix it for you. I just need 100. You ain't got 100. All you got is seven left. Well, you got to keep going. God's got to strengthen you. You got to have an idea. You need to pray. You need to ask God to give you some wisdom so that you can fix your problem with what you got. You see, see, the idea is believing it. That's why the Bible says in one place, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. And I, I really wonder to what extent, let me go over there right quick. That's in the book of James. And it's kind of interesting to me. In James This is in James chapter 1, and this is what it says. This is verse 5 through, we're going to read 5 through 8. So this is James chapter 1. We're going to read verse 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. All right. So here we have a situation where God says, if you lack wisdom, ask him. Now, I really wonder, on a practical basis, how often people do this and believe that it's going to happen. All right? So, in other words, you have a problem in your life, whatever it is, and you pray and say, God, I need wisdom. Do you really expect God to give you the answer that you need in order to get it done? Or... Do you really just pray that because, oh, that's just something you do when actually you're going to go figure it out for yourself? If you believe it, then what you do is you're really looking for the answer. You're believing that this is going to happen. Let's say, for instance, you have, you know, you might want to lay, lay down for a hurt a neck. Um, <laughs> it's going to be all right. <laughs> be getting up too early for class and all that. I understand. So, so the thing is, that you have a situation where you have to be able to say that this is what's really, really, really going to take place. So in other words, if, if, I, if I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, okay, this is what the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I have to be able to, to concentrate and say, okay, this is reality, this is real. So no matter what's going on, whatever the situation is, I really legitimately pray and I ask God to help me and help me to find what I need to get this done. Let me give you an example. Like we, when we had a problem, we still have a little bit of an issue over here where the roof was leaking. And I kept, I, 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 I kept praying. The man told me he was going to charge me $18,000 to fix something. And I was like, no, they just can't be that. I, I, I said, you got to help me. 
you got to just help me. I, you got to be able to help me to tell me what, what this is about. So I prayed about it and just waited. And sure enough, I got a sense about something. So I went up there and I got to messing around with, with, with something. And when it was over, at least, I guess, three quarters of what was wrong, I got it fixed. You know, so where I, there was this big problem that, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do and somebody comes in and says they want all this money to do it. At the same time, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you can help me with this. I know you can tell me what to do. So I'm praying about it, believing God's going to do something. I go up with an idea, and it worked. Well, I, I believe that idea came from God. I, I believe that's what happens. You ask him, believing he's going to do something. You don't ask him and then go do, try to figure it out yourself, or you're trying to figure it out, and you don't. that's not what you're doing. You're legitimately asking him, believing he's going to give you an answer, and then, bam, you get one, and it works. There's some things that, you know, the answer might just be you need to get somebody else to do that. You know, that could be the case. But all I'm saying is that I think that even if you do that, then he'll going to give you what you need to get it done. That's why the Bible then connects that last verse that says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So he's not going to leave you out there with something and no way to get it done. Now, I want to, let's go back then to what Paul is doing. And, and what I always find interesting, and I think we should always keep in mind, is that Paul is actually, like we said again, in jail. Okay, he's in jail right now while he's writing this. And so we read these verses and try to apply them to a life um, where we're running around free and doing everything we want to do, and sometimes not realizing the pressure that he was under as he was even writing this stuff. So Paul then says this in verse 14, Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. All right, so here once again, Paul gives us some insight. And we don't really want to be that kind of church, okay? In other words, churches, although they support what they're doing locally in their church, they really are also supposed to try to reach out and to support uh, other, like, missions and missionaries and people that are doing things out there taking the gospel to other parts of the world. Paul says that the Philippians were, and this is amazing if you think about it. I mean, everything we think about Paul, if you read all this, you realize that Paul was catching it the whole time he was doing this. And, but now today he seems like, well, the great apostle Paul and all this stuff. But when you read this, Paul says, <clears throat> when he departed from Macedonia, not one single church even communicated with him about giving him anything. He was out there all by himself doing what he was doing without any, even the churches he had set up were not sending support to keep him going. Now, we're talking about Paul now, right? So, I mean, now today, you know, everybody's like, well, you know, I, they probably would give to Paul, right? Because I'd give it to Paul. I know he's what. But nobody, not a single per church was giving Paul anything. Now, that's pretty phenomenal to have that situation going and you're the one who's talking about God supplying all your needs and how God will do it, and you can do all things through Christ. And if you look at how we've taken those verses, at least I say, and kind of misrepresented them, I think that an understanding, God's not about hardship. 
But we do have to understand we're in a war. The Bible calls it a war. You know, we are warring with the devil. All you got to do is go and look at all the stuff that's going on now, even more so. It's just become an ongoing, constant cultural war, and we are fighting the devil on every front. It doesn't matter what it's about, whether it's about marriage, whether it's about sex, whether it's about kids in school, whether it's about gender, whether it's about this. Everything is under attack at the moment in every arena. And as believers, some of the things that we believe even we're being accused of of hate speech and stuff like this. So we're constantly up against these things with understanding that this is the situation that Paul was facing. So in verse 16, Paul says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. So Paul Paul is trying to make sure that he, he continues to thank these people for what they did and how they're doing it, and the fact that they started over again, and how it was appropriate and something he appreciated. Now, in verse 17, this is what he says, and this is what we talk about when you start thinking about giving at a church. And, I, and I've said this in the past, <clears throat> you, you know, the, the reason we have to talk about it sometime is because you don't want to rob people of what Jesus says of the opportunities they have for rewards. You know, this is, this is the thing is that God... You know, the Bible says, and I was listening to it this morning where Jesus was talking to his apostles, and he said that I've I've granted each of you a kingdom that you will rule with me and judge the 12 tribes of Israel, that you'll be ruling and reigning with me. So this is why Paul wrote in one place, the apostles, he says, we seem like the off-scouring of the world. He said, you know, you guys are blessed and we're cursed. You guys are this, you're that. He says, we don't have anywhere to live. We this. He says, we're like the off-scouring of the earth. Well, bottom line is, and I was thinking about this today when I was doing some work, is these folks are going to be at the head of this new world. That's the reason why they caught it like they did, as they were taking the gospel forward and doing everything they were doing. But the Bible says they're going to be at the head of this new world with Christ. And that's a heck of a place to be. But they had to go through a whole lot to get there. And so what a lot of people are doing in terms of how they're living out their lives now, they're living it out now as if this is the life. Without, it's like the rich young ruler that Jesus talked to. I was uh, reading that this morning where Jesus said to him, you know, he said, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And he says, you know, you know the commandments. And then he says, oh, I've done all that. He says, okay, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says he dropped his head and walked away. Now, can you imagine once, now that he's dead, and that once, whenever the kingdom begins and Jesus comes back, can you imagine what he's going to realize he gave up? Jesus told him, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. If he had followed Jesus in that moment, there's no telling who he would have been when the kingdom comes. But we know who he ain't going to be because Jesus said, hardly it's going to be hard for rich people to get into heaven, period, because they can't give up the money. You know, they're they so tied to their money and to the, what money can do. He says they hardly can even get in there. Uh, it's easier for the camel to go through the needle's eye than for them to get into heaven. And that's just a hard saying. Um, but he said this. He said in verse 17, not because I desire a gift. See, a lot of times, this is why I've steered away many times from uh, talking about money a lot, 
But I do think that, you know, you have to be careful because the Bible makes it clear that people's giving is not just for the church's edification or for the edification of whatever they're doing. This is how people build up their own rewards in heaven. So to the extent that you invest in the kingdom of God is to the extent that you get a return on it. And not just here. And I, bottom line, it's not just, you know, giving so you can get something here. No, God is like you're putting up rewards for yourself. There are times when I stop and give people money on purpose that I see on the side of the road or wherever I see them. I purposely seek them out and give it to them. And that's like investment to me. It's like putting it in the bank. And, you know, because God, God sees it and God says he that loans to the poor gives to the poor loans to me. So, you know, I'm constantly seeking out sometimes people. One of the things I started doing, because I would have a lot of coins, you know, a lot of times I got a bunch of change. So what I started doing was putting it in little uh, uh, hefty bags. And sometimes, like, if I see somebody and they stand it, here, there may be $15 a change in this hefty bag. <laughs> I just hand it to you. Here, take the change and go on with the bag. And, you know, the, the idea is that you're investing in the kingdom of God. And, and, and I think where people have gotten, it, it is, it's become a problem. It's because, of course, you see all these different churches where the ministers are getting all this money and driving all these cars and doing all this stuff. And that, of course, doesn't help. Uh, when you start talking about people investing in the kingdom, because people feel like, no, what I'm really doing is investing in what you're doing uh, and not the kingdom. Um, and so I, I can understand that, which is one of the reasons why we didn't talk about it a whole lot. But at the same time, you can't avoid the truth of what God says here. I mean, Paul says in verse 17, he said, not because I desire a gift, <clears throat> but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So in other words, Paul's like, look, every time you all give me something, I'm not excited because you're giving me something because I need what you have. This is why he kept trying to say, I, I, I can do all things through Christ. I know how to be content. I, I'm, I, I'm okay with where I am, but I appreciate you all doing what you're doing, not because I want a gift, but because I desire fruit that will abound to your account. In other words, when we get there, Paul will be able to say, these are the people who gave to the ministry that I was promoting or involved in or that God gave me. And now here are their rewards because of what they gave. So Paul then sees that what? By giving into his ministry and he's faithful at what he's doing, you're, you're gaining money in uh, money. You're gaining rewards in your heavenly account. We don't know what that looks like. We don't understand it, but we do know that it's like I was doing some work today here at the church, and I said, Jesus, boy, it would just be so sad for all this time and effort to just be burned up. You know, in other words, it's something that you're doing that God doesn't want you doing. You're not going to get any reward for that. I said, that would just be sad. I said, you know, so keep, please keep me on track doing stuff that I'm going to get a reward for. Because I don't want to just be wasting my time doing things like tonight. I would like to hope that this is going to benefit you all, therefore benefit me when God says, because, see, Paul said this. Paul said, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel has been committed unto me, how then shall I be rewarded? I make the gospel of no charge. So in other words, 
Paul said that when, when Jesus showed up to Paul and knocked him off his horse, he said, I've chosen you. So you don't have no choice. You either preach the gospel or die, because that's pretty much where we're about to happen. That's it. You're blind now. He blind. So you, you know, you're going to preach this gospel or you're done. You're toast. Your life is over. So Paul said, if I did it willingly, I would get a reward. If I do it against my will, a dispensation of the gospel has been committed to me. That's what had happened. Paul wasn't doing that because it's like he's like, woohoo, I want to go preach the gospel. Jesus told him, this is what you're about to do. And he was like, got it. He said, what would you have me to do? So now he's doing it. So Paul says, well, how am I going to get rewarded if God made me do it? He says, because I don't have to. I could take a salary. I could take some rewards. I could take this because as a minister of the gospel, you're supposed to live by the gospel. He says, but what I do is make it free. That's how I'm going to get my reward out of this. Now, why did I say that? Because like me, I do this because I choose to. God ain't make me come in here. I'm, I am not no preacher that um, I, I'm going to tell y'all I was riding down the street one day and a tree fell on me or, you know, um, my car ran out of gas and, and or I was stuck in, you know, in Jamaica and couldn't get out and there was some bandits about to kill me and God said, you preach or you're going to die. Now, none of that ever happened to me. None of it. I chose to be a preacher. I choose to be here. I quit my job. I made that decision to quit. God didn't make me quit. I decided to quit. I, I, I said I'm going to come in here and give the last part of my life to try to make this thing go as far as it can go instead of doing what? Working a job and coming here. I, I chose to do that. So I hope that because of that choice, I get a reward. I chose the gospel. Instead of doing this other stuff, I chose to do this instead of a business. I, I could go open a business now. I choose to keep doing this than to go open a business. This is my choice I made. So because of that, this is what Paul is saying. You want fruit to abound to your account. You got to have something that you're choosing to do that's gospel related versus something God making you do. <laughs> we all got to pray. We all got to do certain things. We all supposed to come to church. We all supposed to, what else do, am I doing that I could say, God, I chose to do this because I choose you. I chose to do what you wanted me to do, okay? And when you do that, that's where your rewards start to come in. You know, now God's like, look, you know, you didn't have to do that. You know, so I'm going to reward you for that. Great, that's what we want to do. You see somebody standing on there, go give them something. You didn't have to do that. There's nothing that makes you do that. You, you do it because you choose to do it because it's the right thing to do according to what Jesus said, and you're moving by faith. It's always by faith. Why? Have you ever seen Jesus? Ain't nobody in here seen Jesus. People say, they ain't seen Jesus. People not seen Jesus. <laughs> the Bible, Jesus said things like, he says what? When I was hungry, you were concerned about it. When I was in prison, you visited me. When this... Okay, well, if Jesus said these things matter, and we do them because Jesus said they matter, that's where our faith is operating, and that's where we get our rewards, right? So the people who will say, well, I don't believe in paying tithes, and I don't do that. Okay, fine. Whatever. The Bible says we should give toward the work of God. So forget tithes. I tell people, forget, just throw that out for a minute. How do people think this building operates? The lights on. We got computers in the back. The computers get old. You got to buy new ones. 
you got to do things when the air come on, the heat come on, you got utility bills, you know, you got things you have to do. How people think they have? You know, you, 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 we have picnics, we do other things around here, we help, we got love never fails, we extend our hand to people, we do stuff. Where do people think that comes from? It, God don't show up and print money. It's counterfeiting if he was doing that. You know, God ain't a counterfeiter. So it's got to come from somewhere. Okay, so if people don't do it, then how does it get done? You see, so the idea is to say, well, I don't believe that God requires me to give anything, if people will say that. Well, no, he don't. But if you want the work of God to go forth on the earth, how do you think he's going to do it? He does it through the ministries and stuff like that. Well, how are they going to do it? You know, we have devotionals we do. We got to print those out. We got stuff. You know, you got all this stuff that costs money to do. So where does it come from? Now, now I want you to think about this. And, and this is not an, to try to indict anybody. I just want you all to think. Now, just, just, just think for a minute. Paul was saying, it's not because I want a gift. Paul says, I want something to abound to your account. So if God says the only way you get rewarded is that you have to be doing something that you wouldn't have to do. Well, nobody has to give anything to church, to a church or anything. They don't have to give nothing. They, they are not required. I don't believe that you have to do that. I think that although the Bible teaches, it says that Abraham paid tithes and Levi paid tithes because he was in the loins of Abraham, his father, when his father paid tithes to Melchizedek. So it appears then that if Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek and Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe, then it would seem that it would be appropriate for us as the children of Abraham to give tithes to Jesus, who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. That just seemed to make sense to me. But it's not required because Abraham did it because he wanted to. He wasn't required by the law like the Israelites were. So neither are we, because we're not under the law. We're under grace. So that then means that we can do whatever we want to do. <clears throat> but how do you think God would approach a reward if I can do whatever I want to do and I don't do nothing? I can do whatever I want to do. Well, I ain't doing nothing then. And you know, a number of people say, you can't show it to me. Well, I got to do that. What do you mean? So if I show you had to do it, you do realize if you had to do it, today you shouldn't get rewarded for doing something you got to do. But if you don't have to do it, it would seem to me that God then would reward you for doing something you don't have to do. But then there are no limits on what you do at that point. So in other words, it's not like, oh, I got to give a tithe. I got to give anything else. You give whatever you want to give. You do whatever you want to do. It's up to you. But you have to realize that if you believe that what is God's matters, that somewhere you would be trying to get a reward that would abound to your account. You know, that just seems to make sense. Unfortunately, most of the time, the reason, like I said, when I would steer away from the discussion is because people keep thinking we're trying to promote our own agendas. You know, of course, if the preacher up there saying, y'all need to give to the Lord, all they see is you. So they assume, you know, uh, you is the Lord. That's the way they look at it, you know. And, and, and I think that, of course, that's not the way you should, but, of course, some of it's our fault because of the way we deal with things. Um, but I do think that people need to be careful that they don't lose the reward that God wants them to get, you know, because Paul makes it clear here. 
I, I didn't need it. I'm not doing this because I need what you have. He says, but I do need you to understand. Um, I want your account to abound and to do. I remember once um, we had somebody who goes to church here, and they were talking to me once about um, investing. And they said um, they had some money that they wanted to invest, and they had prayed about it um, with God about what to do with it and how to invest and all that. And the, this person actually brought me $5,000 cash and put it in my hand and said that God told them to invest in here. Now, I've seen that person's job increase, their salary has increased. I, I see, I just see the blessing of God on their life. Now, and I, I directly tie it to the fact that I think they fully understand this whole kingdom concept, you know, of blessing. And I told them, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure I keep this $5,000 cash somewhere so that if you ever come back <laughs> and say, whatever happened to that money? I said, I'll be able to produce it for you. I said, that's what I'm going to do. I said, because I, I don't need it. We don't need it like that. We didn't need it. But the point was, they were investing the money, they said, into the, into the ministry. And I'm like, well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I said, but I want to be able to prove something to you. I want you to see something. That because you let it out of your hand. See, once you let it out of your hand, put it in mine. You know, I may not have put it, you know, but as long as I got it, it's mine now to put it in the church, right? We got it in the church. So you don't just get it back like that. But if you came back to me, that was my point. To you. If you come back and say, I made a terrible mistake. And I, and I realized I need my money. There's your money. Here you go. You have it back. I said, but, but they never come back. That's been years ago. They ain't never been back. I, but I've watched their life continue to just boop, 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 boop. And, and, and I just believe that, you know, this is how God, God will reward us here. But he also, I think that that kind of faith, also you're rewarded uh, in the future. Now, I want you to look at verse 18. He says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epiditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, think about it. So he's saying, the things that you all sent, I have them now, and I have what I need, but at the same time, I told you it wasn't about what I need. He says, I want you to know something. This is a sacrifice that's acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Now, now you got to think about this. Now, this is, this, is, this is, if God is who he claims he is, he's real, and God is real. Paul says, you all have done something now that is an odor of a sweet smell. He said, God is sitting up there on his throne, and it's like, this is a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. So there are things that we can be doing that God is well pleased with. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be that person? Yeah, that there's something that you know God is sitting up there going, yep, now that I'm well pleased. Wow. You know, we talk about God so much and, you know, him, his wrath and his this and his that, but, to, but his pleasure and to recognize that we're doing something in a way that would be pleasing to God, God says that is. So anytime that you feel like you've done something that is sacrificial, as it relates to God. I don't know if you were on the street and you gave somebody something or whatever you did. The bottom line is, I'm telling you, 
that God is well pleased with that. I remember I always tell this story, and I, like I said, I've, I'm sure I lost my reward 100 years ago, uh, how many I told it. And that was when I was, pro I probably, I was probably 12 or 13. And that's when, you know, New Orleans was fairly safe. Um, you know, we would go down there for the Bayou Classic. My dad would take us down there all the time to go to a football game. And I remember we were going, we were walking out there at night, and I can't remember who I was with. But anyway, um, there was this guy, and I'm convinced, I don't even know, maybe it was an angel, who knows? I'm not sure anymore. The Bible says angels, you entertain them unawares. But, but as we were walking down, you know how you, as you go down Canal Street, they have these stores that you can walk into, but, but they have a little breezeway that's off the sidewalk, then you go through the doors. Well, if you're walking at night, the breezeway is dark, pretty much, if those stores aren't open. And as I was walking, we were walking down Bourbon Street, not Bourbon Street, Canal, and I heard, hey, hey, <laughs> coming from out of that dark uh, deal. And I was like, what? He says, come here. Now, of course, you know, a lot of times I do things, and when I look back, I'm like, now that was crazy. But he was like, come here. And so I went in there, and he says, you got any money you can give me? And I said, now nah, I took my wallet out. And see, when I replayed, it's like, oh, you, you was crazy. Mm, I think it was God. And I looked at my wallet. All I had was a 20 and a 5. And I had to make a decision. Which one do I give him, the 20 or the 5? And he didn't see them, you know. I mean, I just looked at my wallet. So I gave him my $20 bill. And then I put my wallet and I walked off. And when I went back, he was gone. Well, I still to this day say that was another one of them choice moments in my life of what choice would you make? You know, are you going to go with the five or you going to go with the 20? Well, I could have gave him the five and felt okay about myself. But giving him the 20 wasn't so much that I felt okay, but it was a sacrifice. See, and I believe this is what God was saying when he was talking to them. He says, look, you've made a sacrifice that's well-pleasing to me. And because of that, then what? God continues to do things in your life financially. I've never, for the most part, I, I tell people this all the time, for the most part, I've never really had a lot of major financial problems. I mean, I just never have. You know, God's always supplied our needs. Even here at the church, we always we never had any real financial needs that we couldn't get met. You know, they just, it just always seems to come, whatever it is. Um, even when we, like I said, we don't take offerings. You know, we leave a box back there, yet it still comes, the things that we need. God has more than um, graciously shown his ability, if you will, uh, to do things. But I know along the way, there are lots of things that I've had to sacrifice, and then God would turn around and do it. When we first got to church, church didn't have enough money to do it, so I had to kind of co-sign on all the loans, you know. So if everything would have gone under, then I'd have had to pay all the loans back, you know. So all the money we borrowed for the church, all the money we borrowed to re renovate, all of those, those loans I co-signed for. And uh, so they were in the church in my name. And as time went on, eventually, we keep paying loans out. We got them all paid out. And, you know, God would just keep doing things, you know. So, so but, but each time I've had to make uh, usually bigger and bigger sacrifices. I'll put it that way. You know, the first building we bought cost, I don't know, $50,000. The next building we bought cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's like, it, it happens like that. And each time I'm having to sign on. Uh, to it, you know, but at the same time, God then um, 
takes care of it. And, and so I think that these are the sacrifices that God is talking about. And then when you get into verse 19, he says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, even though you all have made a sacrifice, and even though you've gone deep and you've done whatever to support what I'm doing, he says, my God, Paul makes him personal. See, Paul doesn't say, but God, the God, or but God, or but the God. Paul says, but my God. It was personal to God, to, to Paul. You know, so this would be the same thing the way all of us would have to be, that if somebody made a sacrifice toward you or did something, you could say to them, don't, you know, don't fret because my God's going to supply your need. You know, my God's going to do because you know God personally. He is, he's your God, not just God uh, in that sense. And Paul then says he's going to supply all their need. But you see, it was tied to a sacrifice. See, so we can't go out in the world and just post this on our uh, bathroom mirror and get up every morning saying, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And you ain't sacrificed nothing to nobody ever <laughs> in no time recently. But you're quoting a verse that's tied directly to sacrifice. You know, the fact that some sacrifice had occurred and you had gone out on the limb for something, he's then saying God will reward that sacrifice and he'll supply your need according to his riches in glory. And if you think about it, that's unlimited. God has nothing, no limit on his riches in glory, his ability to tap into what's necessary to get it to you to take care of whatever it is that you have that you need to get done in the time you need to get it done. And now then he starts to close everything out, and he makes a statement in verse 20 that I think is um, the one that we really want to pay attention to. He says, now unto God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, a lot of times I think that people still, you know, we say this, but we, we fail to really grasp the significance of this. All of us have fathers. Now, we may not know them well or we may not have known them well, but everybody has a dad. Okay? Now, think about this. God has humbled himself to let us call him father. You know, sometimes we say it, Father, Father, well, Father God, Father. But, 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 but think about this now. How, what kind of relationship, if you had a real relationship with your dad, think about that. God is God, and he expects to be respected and reverenced and all is God. But he's also our father, which then means he doesn't have a problem with dealing with us like a father as well in relationship-wise. So it's a, it's a very intricate place and line to draw, but at the same time, think about it, that God would extend himself this way, that he's now saying to God and our Father, wow, I remember my dad, you know, and, you know, he was a military policeman, I tell people all the time, and it was kind of rough getting raised that way. But at the same time, you know, I had a certain level of respect for my dad, and there were certain things that, you know, my dad could say, and, you know, I'm listening, you know, um, because I had observed his life, and I got to see what he was able to accomplish living out his life the way he did and how he did things. And, but he was my father, and I never felt, anytime I went in to go see him, I didn't call him. Now, now my mom and I joke around, and my wife does this with me. <clears throat> she calls me Mr. White when we at home most of the time. 
you know, so she'll get up. How you doing, Mr. White? No, no, I'm good. You know, how you doing? Um, my mom would do that with my dad, Mr. White, Mr. White. And I was tell her I'd joke around with him sometime like that. But never, like, seriously did I walk in saying, Mr. White, can I talk to you for a minute? Who does that with their dad? You know, nobody, I, I hope not. You know, I mean, you don't walk in and say that. You walk in and say dad or whatever, you know. And, and that, but out of respect, though. I mean, it's not like you go in like, you know, you my boy, dad. That's not, no, then you got bad relations. That's wrong. But the point is that as a father, we recognize that God is saying, look, I'm extending myself to you all. My expectation is just that you will live out according to this epistle the way it's been written and understand that I have a reward for you and everything that's going on right now, I control it. I mean, people just don't seem to get this. The devil can do anything he want to do out there right now. He does not control what's going on in the world. God is letting him run. He's like a puppet. God let, he's, on a, he's like a dog on a leash. He can only get so far. He can bark and do all that. But the reality is, as long as you don't get in the fence with him, he ain't going to bite you. Bottom line is, stay in God's arena where he tells you, and you're going to be fine. And the thing is that God is watching over us. And he ends up then saying, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. So that's even more incredible that Caesar, Paul had converted people in Caesar's house. And, you know, Caesar was the one who was basically had Paul on trial for insurrection. So Paul, Paul's faith was generating um, faith in other people to the point that even though they saw he was in jail and probably going to get executed, they were still willing to be saved, even though they were in the same house uh, with Pharaoh. I mean, uh, um, Caesar. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All right. Well, we have finished the book of Philippians. And so we're going to pick up, we'll see next time what book we're going to be doing. I think we've done Colossians already, and I think we've done, um, I'm not even sure which ones we've done. I think we did Colossians, and I know we did Philippians. I think we may have done Ephesians um, as well. But we'll uh, next week be picking up with a new book. I'm not sure which one. We'll see, maybe Timothy or something like that, but we'll know uh, sometime in, in the week to come. All right, we're going to get ready to go ahead and sign offline. Let me go ahead and make sure we let you all out there know we're live in church on Sunday. Come on in at 10 o'clock. Uh, of course, the live stream starts at 1020. If you can't be here, send it out to somebody else as well. We're also online Sunday uh, chatting at 3 o'clock, and then our prayer service is Wednesday from 6 to 8. Bible study, of course, like tonight online. If you want to come out, we're out here. Come on out. And then Communion Sunday every first Sunday. So you all out there, have a good week, and we'll see you all later. God bless you out there.